Kings <clears throat> chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8. In September of 1981, now, now the, the, the year is important. September of 1981. Do you, I don't know, do they still print the Ladies Home Journal? Maybe. Anyway, in 1981, the Ladies Home Journal asked the question, and this is the question, in whom do you trust? Again, this was 1981. <clears throat> Anybody remember a guy named Walter Cronkite? Yeah, all us old people do. <laughs> 40% of those that participated voted for Walter Cronkite. 26% voted for Pope John Paul. 6% voted for Billy Graham. And 3% said that the person in whom they trusted was God. Three percent. That was in 1981. How long ago was that? 38 years ago. I didn't. I didn't think about doing the math, but I heard you say that. Well, you know, when you were married. Well, that's true. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think about that. Shame. Do you think it's gotten any better? Oh, I'm sure worse. The only problem is Walter Cronkite was actually a straight-up guy. Now the, the talking heads we have now. Anyway, I won't go there. <laughs> I must admit, though, as as I was in preparation for the message tonight, I, I started thinking, and, I, and some of the most difficult times in my life Now, now, now get this, some of the most difficult times in my life, I've been smack dab in the middle of God's will. It's those times that we start to, that, that, that Satan, I believe Satan, whispers in our ear, oh, God doesn't love you. Why would God bring you into this? I believe the will of God and trust in God go hand in hand. Because oftentimes, at least what, what we've experienced, oftentimes it's, it's when you've been in the will of God that God puts your trust to the test. And those two things have to go hand in hand. I have a question for you. How do we learn to follow God? It's really, it's not, it's not a loaded question. It's a really simple question. Well, okay, that's part of it. But we learn, we learn to follow him by learning how to trust him. Okay, uh, let me give you an example. If, as, as a parent, if you are trying to raise children and they don't trust you, 
what are they going to do? The total opposite of what you do. Okay? So part of us learning how to walk in the will of God is learning how to trust God. I know uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, when our children were little, and I don't know if the, the Patches Club does it now or not, but they used to sing a song uh, named, uh, the title of it was Little by Little. And uh, it, it talked about, uh, the, the chorus says, uh, little by little, inch by inch, by the yard it's hard, by the inch it's a cinch. Never stare up the stairs, just step up the steps. Little by little, inch by inch. And see, it's a, it's a, it's a kid's song, but I remember uh, when our kids were little thinking, wow, that, wow, there is so much Bible truth in this very simple children's song. What happens oftentimes, we, we stand and we look up the stairs and we think, oh God, there's no way we can do that. But if we take it one step at a time, then we can accomplish the will of God in our lives. Elijah is getting ready to embark on what I believe to be his most dangerous assignment of all thus far. I believe God is challenging him to do something very, very difficult. Do you have that picture? <clears throat> this is a picture here. Um, this is Israel, the northern ten tribes, the southern two tribes, and God is going to send Elisha to Damascus. This, this whole region up here, anybody know what that region is? The country. Syria. It's, still, it's, it's Syria today. Uh, so God is going to send Elisha to specifically Damascus, the city of Damascus. Now, I did a little research and I found out something interesting about Damascus. Damascus is, um, by all intents and purposes, um, uh, the oldest continuing city in the world today. I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, so, <clears throat> anyway, I just kind of thought I'd throw that out there. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 I, I'm trying to hurry because I know Bob, if Bob's going to pass out in about 10 minutes if I don't. <laughs> yeah, hot dogs, peach cobbler, a, you know, if, if Bob gets up and walks out in a minute, you know why. <clears throat> hey, hey, Rick, if he, tackle him, okay, if he starts going. Um, following God's will. Following God's will is the title of the message tonight. Uh, look at chapter 8 <clears throat> in verse 7. And Elijah came to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come, come hither. And the king said to Haziel, Take a present in thine hand and go and meet the man of God, and inquire of, of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Haziel went to meet him, and took a present uh, with him, 
even a very good thing of Damascus, 40 camels, uh, camels burden, uh, and came and stood before him and said, uh, the son, uh, thy son, Ben-Hadad, king of uh, Syria, has sent me uh, to thee, asking, shall I recover of this disease? And Elisha said unto him, go say to him that uh, thou mayest certainly recover, howbeit the Lord has showed me that he shall surely die. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed and the, and the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why weepest my Lord? And he answered, Be, Because I know the evil that is that thou uh, wilt do unto the children of Israel. Uh, their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, and, the, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword. And will dash their children and rip up their women with with children. And Haziel said, "But what is thy servant a dog, uh, that he would do this great thing?" And Elisha answered, "And the Lord, uh, the, the Lord has showed me that thou shalt be king of Syria." So he departed from uh, Elisha and came to his master, who said to him. What saith Elijah to thee? And he answered, He told me that thou should surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it upon his face so, uh, so uh, that he died. And Haziel reigned in his stead. Here we see an account of Elijah being sent to Damascus to uh, anoint Hazael to be the next king of Israel. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do it. Let's pray before we, before we get started. Dear Lord, we truly are thankful and grateful for your time, the, the time together around your word. And I ask, dear God, that you would give me clarity of thought and that you would help me to communicate some of the truths that you've shown me through this passage. And Lord, help all of us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here we are. We, we see three individuals. We see Elijah. We see Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And then Haziel, the soon-to-be king of Syria. All three of these men, God gives us a glimpse into their hearts. You know, I, I, I love when God shows us the hearts of men. Uh, I, I don't want God to ever reveal my heart, okay, because I know my heart, and I don't like what I see a lot, a, a lot of times. But God gives us a snapshot into the, into the hearts of these men. And we're going to look at their, their hearts for a minute. And I, I want to ask you a question. What is the most important thing that you possess to God? Your heart. God is more concerned about your heart than he is anything else about you. If, if God has your heart, he's got your purse strings, does he not? If God has your heart, then he's got everything about you. Let's look at the hearts of these men very quickly. Point number one, 
Let's look at King Ben-Hadad. He does something interesting here in verse 8. He instructs Haziel uh, to take a gift to Elisha. Now, more than likely, uh, the gift, what, what was it, 40 camels of burdens or something like that? I mean, this is not just, you know, hey, take them a box of chocolates and tell them, hey, you know, uh, thanks for coming. You know, th- this is this is quite a gift. And he and he takes this gift and 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 we would probably look at it more in the in the uh, 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 more like a like a bribe than it than than a gift. More than likely, what Ben Hadad was trying to do was buy favor with God. And, you know, you have to realize Ben-Hadad was a pagan worshiper. And how, how does, how, how did and does, uh, how, did the, how did people earn favor in the, in the eyes of their gods? Yeah, they, they would, they would, they would by, by works, by, by money, doing this, doing that. I, I remember when I, I was in the country of Costa Rica, back many years ago and we went to he took us to uh oh man it's been so long ago now i don't remember the city but anyway the the city that he took us to in costa rica was the home of the biggest catholic church in the country it's like it's like the capital for the 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 catholic church huge huge building in the middle of this San Jose, yes. <clears throat> and as we were there, it was it was it was the middle of the week, and I didn't expect to see anybody in church, but I saw this old man, and, and I am not exaggerating. This guy looked like now how old he was, I don't know, but he looked like he was 80, 80 plus years old. He crawled on his hands and knees all the way from the street, all the way across the courtyard, up the steps, across the entryway, and all the way to the altar. We watched him on his hands and knees crawl that entire day. And this is a huge building. And he got up to where the priest was, and the priest looked down and went, oh. And he patted him on the head, said a few words, and the guy got up and walked out. What was that old man trying to do? He's trying to earn it. And I stood there and my heart broke. Because none of anything that he did earned him one thing. How very sad. And that is the kind of of king that this was so <clears throat> but he 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 sends um haziel and he says hey take this gift go to elijah and ask him one question am i going to recover from this disease <clears throat> now <laughs> on the surface that seems like a logical question does it not Am I going to get better? Now, 
the first, my first thought was he asked that question because he was afraid to die. But the more I started thinking about it, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Do you think that Ben-Hadad called all of his counselors, his sorcerers, all his uh, 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 pagan priests and all of the people that counseled him, do you think that he had already called them together and asked them, hey, am I going to make it? Oh, absolutely he did. But why did he ask Elijah? Well, I personally believe, and, and again, this is my opinion, I believe that he, he knew Elijah would tell him the truth. When you got employees giving you advice, what are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, yeah, king. Man, you got this. You're going to be great. And he knew they all, again, this is my opinion. I believe he knew they were all lying to him. They didn't have a clue. But he knew as much as he hated Elijah. He wanted, he wanted Elijah dead. But he knew Elijah would tell him the truth. I find that interesting because... <clears throat> Uh, why, why would he want to know if he was going to live or not? Think about, think about this question. Why would the king want to know if he's going to die or not? Again, was he afraid of dying? I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't know. We're not told. But I think it goes much deeper than that. There you go. If he knew... He was going to die. He needed to put his house in order. Because the reality is, and Ben-Hadad was no fool, he knew eventually he's going to die. We all know that. But if, if, if he knew that he was going to die the next day, or shortly thereafter, do you think he would have lived his last day or two a little different? Absolutely. As I was, as that reality hit me the other day, I thought to myself, wait a minute. If somehow God miraculously came to me and said, hey, Rick, you're going to die tomorrow. I, my first thought was, oh, man, what would I do different? You know, what would I, who, who would I call? You know, what, what would I put in place? What, you know, and, and I started thinking about it and I thought, wait a minute. I really probably wouldn't change a whole, I mean, I'd probably call my kids and grandkids and say goodbye, but I probably wouldn't change a whole lot. But I know people, I know a lot of people if they knew that they, their last day on earth was going to be tomorrow, they would live tomorrow with a lot of regrets. And as I as I sat there and that, I started processing what uh, what what God was revealing to me in all of this, 
I thought, you know what? Praise God. Praise God that I'm right smack dab in the middle of his world. Now, are there some things in my past that I'm not too proud of? Absolutely. But would I change anything? Not a thing. Praise God for that. And my question to you tonight, and, and as far as Ben Haydad here, is if if you if you think about that and you think, wow, there is a lot that I I would change if I knew tomorrow was my last day on earth. My advice to you is you need to make some things right with God. And you need to start living every day as though it is your last. No regrets. No regrets. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, how often? Daily. And follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever lose his life for my sake shall save it. What an incredible reminder. The second person I want to look at very quickly is Haziel. Haziel, the dirtbag. <clears throat> I don't like Haziel. Okay? <laughs> Verse 10. Uh, uh, let me turn the page. And Elijah said uh, unto him, Go and say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. Howbeit, the Lord has showed me uh, that he shall surely die. So, Elijah here, uh, his, his uh, purposefully ambiguous, if you would. He says, okay, he's going to recover, but he's going to die. And we, we know because we read it a few minutes ago that Haziel kills him. Now, Haziel... <clears throat> Uh, uh, I, look at verse 11. And he settled his countenance steadfastly. And, and you know, we, we look at that phrase and we think, what, is, what does that mean? That, that is, let, let, me, let me explain to you what that is. That is getting your kid's hand in the cookie jar and then that kid going, uh-oh. What? Uh, it was an effort for Haziel to, to, he had to force himself in front of Elijah to, to, to change his countenance to being sad. He wanted his inside, inside Haziel's going, yes! And on the outside, he's going, oh, he's going to die? <laughs> what an incredible picture of the heart of this man. It's like, you know, getting, getting the kid with the hand in the cookie jar saying, I I'm sorry, Mom. 
<laughs> but the hand is still in the jar and it's still holding on to a fistful of cookies. You know, that's that's what's going on here. So <clears throat> Elijah makes some horrific accusations toward Hazael. He says, uh, because uh, I know the evil that is uh, 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 that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. And then he names the evil. He says, their strongholds will, the, will thou uh, uh, set on fire. Uh, their, their young men shall uh, thou slay with the sword. Will dash their children. It literally means to cut them in pieces. And rip up their women with children. I don't even want to talk about that one. This is a wicked man. And then he looks at Elisha and he says, Oh, what are you calling me a dog that I would do such a thing? And he, and he gets this, this air of, of surprise. And, and, and what an incredibly wicked person. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. A good man out of good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. We will always do what is in our hearts. And you can hide it on the outside. But God knows and will always reveal the heart. Recently, my wife and I were talking, and somebody was exuding um, uh, niceness. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was like over the top. And we both walked away trying to find the knife in our backs. You know what I'm saying? It just... <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. Well, that's, that's this, this guy. But the reality is, what is in your heart will always be revealed. Always. And then number... Well, before I go to number three and talk about Elijah for a minute, I want to, I got another question for you. Did Hazael tell King, did Hazael tell King Ben-Hadad the truth? Kind of. Okay. Now, now, now parents, please get a hold of this. And I've talked about this a million times. Partial truth is still a lie. Okay. Now, technically, he did not lie, okay? You are not going to die from this disease, but I'm going to kill you. Yeah, he didn't tell him that part. Let's look at Elijah, point number three. Elijah's heart here, I, I, I have, as I was studying this, I, I was just absolutely amazed by a couple of things here that Elijah did. Can we put up that picture again, Cass? I want to point out three things tonight that reveal what I believe is the heart of Elijah. The first one is that he was willing to go. He was willing to go. 
do you remember what happened right there just just prior to us reading this story? Samaria? Right there, Samaria? What, ha- what happened at Samaria? Okay, well, before that. Yes, there was a famine. <clears throat> well, the famine was caused... <clears throat> the famine was caused by King Ben-Hadad. King Ben-Hadad encircled the city, besieged the city. Do you remember that? And he, what did he, he wanted to kill two people. And, and <clears throat> they were both in the city. Who were the two people Ben-Hadad wanted to kill? The king and Elisha. But what happened? At the end of the story, two, two, uh, or no, th- three lepers. Yeah, three lepers went out, found the camp had been abandoned, and the city was saved. Just That was just like a chapter before this. So God comes to Elisha and he says, Hey, not only do I want you to go to Syria, but I want you to go to Damascus. Are you kidding me? Elisha in Syria is the most wanted man in in the world. He is probably worth millions of dollars to whoever could kill him. But he went. Get a hold of this. Because no matter what the obstacle is, what is the safest place in the world for a believer in the middle of God's will. But way too often, we see the map and we think, whoa, time out, back the bus up. You want me to go where? And God says, I want you to go to Damascus. And, and, And When I surrendered ministry, I've told you this before, I, 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 said, I told God, I will go anywhere in the world that you will want to send me except California. I hate California. But, but you know what's happening? <clears throat> California's coming here. And guess what? God says, ha, 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 ha. You won't go to California? I'll bring California to you, Stu. Yeah, it's my fault. It is my fault. <clears throat> now, under normal circumstances, now again, this is normal circumstances. When a, uh, when, when a, a, a prophet traveled, went anywhere, was it incognito, so to speak? No. Uh, you know, now obviously Elijah, with the with the with the uh, with the drought and, and all that stuff, you know, Elijah, God had him incognito and, and snuck him around. But normally, when a prophet left to go anywhere, it was a big deal. Anybody know why? Because anybody? Well, that's part of it. Nobody would touch a prophet, and and that's part of it. But 
let's just say Fernley was in Israel back in that time, and Elisha comes trotting into Fernley. Well, not only that, but the, the public officials go out to meet him, and they will always say, uh, why are you here? Because when the prophet moved, it was either really, really good or really, really bad. Judgment coming. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, And Samuel did that which uh, the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and, say, and said, Comest thou peacefully? And he said, Peaceably. And they all went, Whew. Now that's in the Hebrew. The part is in the Hebrew. Okay? <laughs> they were scared to death. Because more often than not, the prophet was coming to give you some bad news. Elijah. The second thing Elijah did here that I believe shows Elijah's heart is that he confronted Hazael with sin and his wickedness. Elijah stands toe-to-toe with Hazael and he sticks his finger in his face. He says, you are a dirtbag. You are going to do some horribly wicked things. And, it, and, he, and he called out wickedness the way God sees it. In John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, And when he made a scourge, this is talking about Jesus, he made a scourge of, of uh, small cords, and uh, he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers of money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them uh, that sold doves, Take these uh, things hence, uh, make not my father's house, a house of merchandise. And and please understand the the intent. What, what was the reason Jesus drove them out? Because they were making a mockery of the temple. And Jesus didn't go in and just lose his temper and throw a fit and start throwing table. He took the time to make a whip. It says in, um, hold on, let me go back. In verse 15, it says, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he, he took the time to make a small whip to drive them out. He didn't just go in and lose his temper. We need, as believers, to understand that we need to stand for righteousness. And then the third thing that we see, the heart of Elijah, is in verses 11 and 12. His brokenness over sin. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. He wept. And Hazel said, Why weepest thou, my Lord? And he's answered, because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel, and so on and so forth. 
we live in a society that Christians have lost the ability to weep over sin. We see it. We are surrounded by it all the time. And we weep no more. How very sad. Elijah was broken to the point that he, 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 he just, it just broke his heart. Thank you to television and the internet. We see things that shouldn't be seen. We see, I, I, I heard a statistic at one time back, probably 30, 30 years ago, of how many people, the average person in America on television, that, that they see them get killed on television. You know, Westerns and and, and, and stuff. It, it is in the thousands. And that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I don't remember. I can't imagine what it's like today. Small children are watching this stuff. Old people are watching this stuff and we, we, we become callous to wickedness. We need to examine our own hearts. God has given us snapshots into, the, into these three men's hearts. And I want to just close with a simple thought. What's your heart look like tonight? Would you, would you have wept as Elisha wept? Or would you just, oh well, it's part of life. I hope not. I hope not. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your